Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And Jerry's back. Yeah. Where's that little uh, plastic clappy machine? Uh, we can just... <sighs> Jerry's back. Yeah. Jerry, can I mention, had surgery on her back. To uh, add a third limb. <laughs> she does not have a third limb. But she has uh, spent a while on her back recuperating, then eventually was in a chair. And now she's walking around. And now she can do push-ups with that third arm <laughs> coming out of her back. It's pretty awesome. But uh, soon enough, Jerry will uh, be, like, pain-free for the first time this year, which is very exciting. Yes. But for the time being, she's on some pretty dynamite pills. Oh, yeah? I, Did you get a hold of Have those? you tried to talk to her? <laughs> um, Jerry, how are you doing over there? <laughs> so, welcome back, Jerry. We didn't know how much we missed you until you were gone. For real. All right. Again, the applause thing. That's about as much sentiment as we allow. I know. You know? My throat dried up. Ooh. I had like some sort of adverse reaction to that. All right. Let's do this. Oh, really? Yeah, man. Fine. Let's. Davy Crockett. I should point out, first off, that when I was a kid mm-hmm. visiting my grandparents in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. Davy Crockett land. Yeah. Um, I... I have a great picture, and people always say, like, why don't you ever post the pictures you talk about? But I have this great picture of me when I was, like, five years old. Mm-hmm. Coonskin cap, uh, fringe vest. Wow. Boots, little plastic Bowie knife, uh, long muzzle-loading uh, uh, musket. I, I think I know this the very musket you're talking about. Yeah. So I was just, like, totally rigged out and obsessed with watching the old Davy Crockett show, <laughs> even on. though it was, like, 1975. Right. And that show ran in the 50s. It was one of those deals like we still grew up on Gilligan's Island, all these older shows. And well, reruns. yeah, I think Disney, Walt Disney Presents or something oh, yeah. like that. They it's re-ran a lot of that stuff years later. Yeah, I was way into it. That's awesome. Because I was into camping early on, and it was just, it really fit the bill for me. I love yeah. the song, the whole deal. Yeah. Uh, I had a coonskin cap, too. but So did Jerry. The only Yes, she did. Uh, the only extra accoutrement I had was a deer skin water bag filled with wine. Oh, yeah, yeah, a uh, Boda bag. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have one, but Emily does, and she still puts wine in it and sneaks <laughs> it into concerts. <laughs> what else is it for? <laughs> All right. So let's do it. Uh, so, Chuck, you, you made reference to Davy Crockett from the 50s, the Disney thing. Yeah, not Daniel Boone. No, Daniel Boone was prior to Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett became Daniel Boone's successor as the the um, personification of the American push westward. Yeah. For a long time, Davy Crockett personified the conquering of the Indian. Yeah. Um, the wrestling of the bear. Yeah. The taming of this land and, uh, through America. America. Yeah, although he spent like his entire life in Tennessee, pretty much. No, that's not true. He 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 went to Texas some. And he did, but he spent a lot of time in Alabama and actually homesteaded there for a little while around Talladega. Not for too long, though. For long enough. Like his family in Tennessee are all very adamant about him being a lifelong Tennessee guy. Right, and in, he, in his heart, maybe. he would agree with that entirely. Sure. Um, he was born in Tennessee, uh, near Knoxville, East um, Tennessee, yeah, Greene County. Yeah, he uh, spent most of his life there. Even when he R U N N O F T, um, he <laughs> was in Tennessee, yeah. I believe, for the most part. Um, he uh, his autobiography 
uh, was titled um, David Crockett of Tennessee. Parentheses, really. Yeah. <laughs> Not uh, Alabama. Yeah, he went to West Tennessee for a while, too. We'll get to all this. But yeah, let's go back to the Disney He's thing. a volunteer. So 20 years after, yeah, he is. Is that where he came from? Him? No, I don't think so. Okay. But because he did volunteer. Oh, maybe. You never know. Maybe it didn't. I wonder if that was like kind of a the thing and it wasn't state. just him, but yeah. That Tennessee is the volunteer state and David Crockett was a big time volunteer. Or maybe he felt pressured to because he was in Tennessee. He's like, I really. The peer pressure state. I don't want to, but I guess I must. Yeah. Um, so Disney, I'm talking about Disney, whether you like it or not. No, let's do it. I love that show. So 20 years after Disney runs five episodes, that's the run of the David Crockett show. Yeah. There was only five episodes. I even looked that up because I was like, that can't be right. Yeah. I saw a hundred of them. Yeah. No, you saw those five 20 times each. I did. Um, so they ran from 1954 to 1955. And you as a kid in 1975, one full year before I was born, by the way. Yeah, I was four. Was still watching it. Mm-hmm. Loving this stuff. So Love it had it. staying power. But what had even more staying power was Davy Crockett himself. Because the Disney thing ran a full 115 years after David Crockett died. Yeah. He was already kind of a legend in his own time as well. But this Disney thing, th- it was Disney, Davy Crockett fever in the mid-50s. Yeah, they uh, supposedly at its peak, 5,000 coonskin caps a day were selling yeah, get to this. kids. Within a couple of months of the premiere of the first Davy Crockett episode, Mm-hmm. A hundred million dollars had been made off of the Davy Crockett franchise. Nineteen fifty-four dollars. Yeah, he just came on like a ton of bricks. Yeah, and uh, of course you know the coonskin cap. If you are yep. a fan of The Simpsons, Jebediah Springfield mm-hmm. is ensconced in uh, what is it? Bronze? Is that a bronze statue? I well, you can't really tell. It's on TV in that cartoon form, so it's a statue. Yeah, uh, and. We don't know for sure if he actually wore a coonskin cap. He did. Well, that's no, was, not what I saw. I, I saw that Daniel Boone did not for sure, uh-huh. and Davy Crockett more likely wore wildcat or fox and possibly coonskin on occasion. Okay. I was going to say that it was very apropos that that picture of you all dolled up like Davy Crockett mm-hmm. was taken in Memphis because that is supposedly the first time he wore the little uh, fringy hunting shirt and the coonskin cap when he headed out from Memphis to Texas, which we'll talk about later. That's what I saw. Man alive. This is interesting. But I think this illustrates a really great point about Davy Crockett. There are few people who definitively lived who have more legends and possible half-truths swirling around them than Davy Crockett. Yeah, I think some people out there might even think that he wasn't even a real dude. It was just like a tall tale guy. Yeah, you know, he, he very much lived. Um, and we got to mention the song. Well, first of all, Fess Parker starred as Davy Crockett. Mm-hmm. Fess Parker also starred as Daniel Boone. Is that right? I guess they were like it's typecast. Is what yeah, that is. sure. Um, and he also the 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 TV theme song was sung by the the Wellingtons, the famous song "King of the Wild Frontier." Yeah. Um, but in 1955, four different people recorded it. And all four of them in the same year recorded the same song, landed in the top ten. That's how popular that song was. <laughs> or that's how just kind of um, undemanding audiences were in the 50s, the radio audiences. Yeah, maybe so. But Fess Parker did one of the versions. He did, also oh, did sang, it? yeah. Man, that guy made some dough off of Davy Crockett, didn't Unbelievable. he? Unbelievable. Ironically, he was afraid of snakes, Fess Parker. Was he really? 
Isn't that a wine too, Fess Parker? Uh, Isn't that a winery? Not that I know of. That's that's a dingy winery right there. There's it's wine <laughs> passed through Fess Parker's coonskin cap. There's some winery that has a name similar to that. Fess Parker. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Tess Parker. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm getting it confused. So uh, tell them about the Davy Crockett, the U.S. Army's Davy Crockett. Uh, that was a rocket. Did you see that thing? Uh, no. Is it cool? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was in the 1960s, the Army. It was a uh, artillery launcher, lightweight, that fired mortars that had nuclear warheads, and they called it the Davy Crockett. Yeah, it fired 70-pound nuclear warheads. That's what it was designed to do. And they never deployed it, but it was basically a bunch of pipes that like, you drive up on your Jeep about one to two miles away from the enemy mm-hmm. in Europe, uh, the Ruskies, I guess, Yeah, and um, assembled this thing real quick and dropped a 70-pound warhead mortar in it and shot it off onto the enemy. It was never used, though? Not as far as I know. It was tested, wow. and there's pictures of, like, I mean, it might as well be, like, a G.I. Joe drawing. Like, the pictures of this thing being tested with, like, the Jeep and the guy standing next to it, and there's, like, right. a, it's just cool. I'll have to check that out. But, yeah, luckily, I don't think they anyone's ever set off a, a warhead on anybody in battle aside from yeah. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Aside from us. Right. All right. Davy Crockett. Shameful. Um, all right. So he was born in Tennessee in 1786. Uh, at 12 years old, his dad sent him off to this dude, uh, Jacob Seiler, to help drive cattle to Virginia. Yeah. And like, you know, as a 12-year-old, like they were working hard back then. Oh, yeah. And this dude, the job ended up, uh, you know, ended. And the Silas guy like forcibly detained him. As like a slave of sorts. Yeah, basically. And he was like, screw this. I'm going to hike seven miles in the snow out of here <laughs> in the middle of the night. What's crazy is in two hours. Yeah, he ran it. I don't even think I could run on a flat plane <laughs> seven miles in two hours. Well, they don't write songs and TV shows about you, though. No, they don't. Actually, we did have a TV show and a song about us. <laughs> yeah, but we commissioned it virtually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. So... He drops out of school. Well, he, he does a lot of hooky, and his dad gets pretty ticked off at him. So yeah. he's like, basically, I'm going to leave home at a young age because I'm not into the schooling thing. Yeah, he um he for uh, across his lifetime, he became a very successful person. Yeah. Um, and he kind of wore the fact that he didn't have much schooling as a badge of honor. Like he was very proud of how far he'd gotten in life without formal education. Um, but yeah, it, 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 as a kid. He hated school, is the impression I have. Yeah, he, he called it a strategic withdrawal and uh, left for two and a half years, <laughs> yeah. came home like a grown person. He was like 16. And his family was like, who is this larger version of my son that yeah. left? And they forgave him and it was all good. Yeah, he actually stuck around and um, helped work off some of his father's $76 debt sure. for a year and went to school as a peace offering for another six months and then said, okay, that's it, forget it. I'm going to go make my own way. And this is when he begins to volunteer. That's right. He volunteered with the Tennessee militia. Yeah, his military career started there. Lots of militia action going on. Like he was in a bunch of different militias, it seemed like. Yeah, and what he was part of um, is one of the more despicable parts of American history, the removal of Indians, specifically in this case the southern Indians, from yeah. their lands. There was a lot of land um, in what are now the southern United States, the southeastern United States, that was ripe for cotton growing. And there were a lot of people who wanted that land. Yeah. 
and there were a lot of treaties. Basically, the 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 militias would go in, battle the Creeks or the Choctaws or the Cherokees or whoever, and um, then after their defeat would force a treaty on them. And Andrew Jackson, who later became president, was personally responsible for nine of 11 treaties between 1814 and 1824. Which means nine of 11 Indian massacres. Basically, Native yeah. American massacres. Yeah, and there are massacres on both sides. And Davy Crockett actually took place in one of the massacres, a, a retributive massacre, right? Yeah, I think that was his first military duty. He enlisted to uh, avenge the attack on Fort Mims, Alabama, and with Andrew Jackson uh, did so, Indian massacre. Right. Very sad. Yeah, it was. Um, the The name of the town was uh, Tallusahatchee, and it was in Alabama. Yeah. Um, and I believe they killed about 200 uh, Indian men, and uh, 84 women and children were captured. And then whoever was left alive, I guess Andrew Jackson came in and negotiated a treaty. Yeah, they probably kept one man alive to sign the treaty. Right, exactly. And it basically said, all the rest of you have to get off this land, but you can go west. And then as this happened time and time again, um, more and more Americans moved south and established plantations around this time. Right. So that's the context of what was going on when Davy Crockett was volunteering with the militia, basically. Yeah, and it seemed like he really hopped all over the place between like uh, some military militia work because these are when you enlisted, it was like a ninety-day enlistment. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like years and years. Um, and then, like some political work before he, you know, got real serious. He was a uh, town commissioner for a little while. He was a justice of the peace for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So he was just sort of floating around, little militia work, little political work, Indian He's, fighting. Yeah, he was a man of many fringe jackets, I guess. He really was. Well, uh, before we keep going, you want to do a message break? Yeah, I think it's a good time. And then things get serious for Davy Crockett. Yeah. So we were talking, Chuck, about um, how Davy Crockett wore many, many hats. Sure. Um, many skin caps. And we want to say also that uh, he, uh, although he was an Indian fighter and actually became very much respected as one, that's part of his initial legend was that he was an Indian fighter. Yeah. Which was very much admired among... Um, Americans at the time. Sure. Um, it, he eventually it parted from that image very publicly. Uh, but first he kind of had to create a public platform to do that on, I guess. Right? Yeah. He uh, he was a commissioner for a while in um, Tennessee, and then he was elected to the Tennessee le- legislature. Mm-hmm. And then, finally, in... Um, 1825, he won a seat in Congress. Yeah. His first, his first, like, he was actual congressional representative for Tennessee. Was it 1825? I thought it was 1827. 1827, that's right. And he served two terms. Yeah. And then lost basically the third term because he came out so uh, vehemently opposed to what Jackson was doing with, like, taking back the land. Yeah. So the Supreme Court ruled that, um, that, it, that Native Americans had a right to occupancy. Yes, right. they can live in North America, but that is trumped by Americans' right of discovery. Somehow they decided that we discovered this land that you already lived on, which trumps your right to live on it. Did that anyone ever say, no, 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 we discovered it 
because we're here. <laughs> right, and they were cut down where they stood, probably. Yeah. Um, so this, the the I guess the idea, the issue of Indian removal in this time was being played out in the courts. Andrew Jackson becomes president, gets the Indian Removal Act passed through, which basically says, I'm the president, I deal with treaties with Indians, I'm taking this out of the hands of the courts, and I'm, by the way, Andrew Jackson, and you know how I feel about Indian removal. Yeah. Y'all can get out west. Right. Right? And apparently this is egregious enough to make Davy Crockett say, you know what, I'm totally rethinking this land use policy, this land grab, the Indian Removal Act, and even though we're both from Tennessee mm-hmm. and we're both in the same political party, I'm publicly separating myself from you and your policies, Mr. President. Yeah. And that was a big deal. Well, he lost because of it. He did, but he lost very narrowly. I believe 252 votes. Yeah, it was close. Um, and actually, in our we have a video series, people, called Trapped in a Meeting. Mm-hmm. And in this week's Trapped in a Meeting, we learned that while Andrew Jackson was in office, he had an assassination attempt uh, on his life. And Davy Crockett, this guy, like this this uh, mentally ill guy, went to shoot Andrew Jackson on the steps of the Capitol. I think. Yeah, remember we talked about in the insanity defense episode. Yeah, and Davy Crockett was one of the guys who subdued. <laughs> he like jumped into action because he's Davy Crockett. Yeah, even though they already opposed one another politically at this point, he's still going to help save the president. Sure, stand up guy. Yeah, Davy Crockett was. It turned out to be a pretty cool dude. Yeah. Um. So he loses that after for his uh, third. Bid third consecutive term, he loses uh, his bid, and um, he goes off and starts making money by making and selling barrel staves, like the slats he used to make whiskey and wine barrels. Yeah, which apparently is pretty lucrative at the time. Yeah, Plus he almost died doing it though. Yeah, it was a boat wreck on the Mississippi River carrying those barrel staves, and he almost died then, and he almost died earlier in his life uh, when he had malaria. When he was homesteading in Alabama. Yeah, so he's he you know. He he was a rough and tumble guy. Oh, for sure. You know, um, supposedly also during this time he killed 105 bears in a year. Yeah, killed him one when he was only three. Which, uh, well, that's a Disney legend. And <laughs> sure. also, we should say that the idea that he was a king of the wild frontier—that term, that label—came directly from Disney as well. Yeah. He obviously didn't wrestle a bear when he was only three, but he was a very well-known bear hunter. Um, whether he killed 105 or not. Uh, that's kind of up for debate. But if uh, you want to read his firsthand account of it, there's an awesome article called Bear Hunting in Tennessee, colon, Davy Crockett Tells Tall Tales. It's on George Mason University's website. Nice. Check it out. It's He's a pretty awesome author. He was talking about how he's hunting with his eight dogs, and his dogs are the best dogs on the planet, yeah. flushing out bear. Um, and he saw some other fellas come up and they wanted to hunt with them and they had like 20 dogs, but all the dogs were terrible. He said they couldn't bark at a bear without having to lean up against a tree to rest for a little <laughs> while. Um, so he left the dogs behind and let them chew on some bear bones and he, he took them, his dogs out. It's wow. just awesome. Like this guy is a totally uneducated frontiersman who also went to Congress and kind of a humorist too. Yeah. I think the song actually originally went, um, Hike seven miles in the snow in two hours when he was only 12. <laughs> right. And they're like, eh, let's yeah. just make something up. Killed him a bear. It wasn't even killed. It's K-I-L-T. Killed him a bar. Yeah. B-A-R. Yeah. Um, boy, that song is still just like instantly comes to my head. Yeah. The lyrics and everything. So he lost his third congressional bid. Um, and then he starts gaining more fame and notoriety. And this is at a time where, you know, it's, it's, it was pre-internet. 
Yeah. Was it pre-internet? A little. It was pre-internet. And it was a time where it was, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing to gain this kind of notoriety. Like, that just shows how popular he was. Like, he was one of the most famous people in the country. Yeah. Um, they had these uh, Davy Crockett almanacs published. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of books written about him. Uh, one lied and said that it was an autobiography. Yeah. To sell books. And the almanacs actually came out of that. They used that book as the basis of it. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So, so that just kind of perpetuated all these lies. And since it was attributed to him, that gave him a reputation for spinning tall tales oh, about gotcha. himself, which he didn't necessarily, that, that wasn't necessarily untrue. He just right, didn't right. spin them quite as much as, as other people did about him. Uh, there was a play by James Kirk Paulding called The Lion of the West, and the, the character Nimrod Wildfire <laughs> was based on Davy Crockett. And, um, he finally did get together with, with a, cause as you said, he wasn't educated, so he got a little help, mm-hmm. but he eventually did write his own autobiography with, with the help of a co-author. Yeah, he did. And, um, you can very much compare it to Barack Obama writing The Audacity of Hope because it was released at a time when the Whigs were starting to tout, um, Davy Crockett as a possible challenger, I guess, to Andrew Jackson. For the presidency. Right. Uh, a, nat- a, a native. A narrative of the life of Davy Crockett of the state of Tennessee by Thomas Chilton and mm-hmm. Davy Crockett. Yeah. Was the official one. Yeah. So the problem is, Chuck, he um, didn't win his reelection bid. So his, his um, idea of going into the presidency, the primary, I guess, in 1836. Was that his plan? That yeah, he was going along with that, and some of the Whigs were like, "Let's do it." Yeah, but he, since he he was knocked out of Congress in 1835, he did make a third trip back to Congress from 1833 to 1835. Right, but then he was defeated by a, a um a peg leg lawyer. Yeah, named uh, Adam Huntsman. Yeah, um, very narrowly, uh, but he lost. So I think at that point he was like, "I'm kind of done with Congress for a while." Yeah, and that uh, his losing to the, that peg leg lawyer, as he was dubbed, um, it gave rise to his famous quote: uh, "Since you have chosen to elect a man with a timber toe to succeed me, you may all go to hell, and I will go to Texas." Yeah, and he was basically like, "I want to go check out Texas and see what's out there." Yeah, you know, this was like he didn't go westward, like you know, to California or anything like that. Like Texas was. Super West at the time. Yeah, and it was a Mexican state that was um, in a struggle for independence. There was a rebellion going on there. Yeah, that's not why he went, though. No. Apparently he got caught up in that, but he went there just to explore and was going to settle down with his family and just, you know, live on the land. Right. And um, he said... Uh, there's a lot uh, of money to be made there. Well, yeah, he said, uh, what I've seen of Texas, there is a world of country here to settle. I had rather be in my present situation than to be elected to a seat in Congress for life. Yeah. So he really thumbed his nose at politics at that time. Or he was just really happy, too, with Texas. Yeah, that's true. Um, he also, it, it didn't take very long for him to get there and, I guess, get caught up in the rebellion that was going on that really kind of spoke to him in his spirit. Yeah, they said he loved a good fight. Yeah. Like, I think he just couldn't resist. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, he was a bear hunter, for goodness sake. Yeah. Um, so he gets there and um, basically aligns himself with the uh, rebel movement who asked him and his traveling companion to sign an oath of allegiance to it. Uh-huh. And uh, in it, it basically says, like, I, Davy Crockett, uh, am pledge allegiance to this rebellion and any future government that may come out of it. 
David Crockett was like, I'm not signing that unless you put Republican before government. Yeah. Because he wasn't about to sign his allegiance over to some, you know, tyrannical government that came out of this rebellion. He didn't know. Yeah. So he was one to hedge his bets. That's right. Very smartly. So he signed it and um, very famously uh, died at the siege of the Alamo, which I know you have visited the Alamo. Mm-hmm. And I there is no basement. There is no basement, and it's. Uh, I always hear from everybody that visits. I have not how small it is. Everyone's always underwhelmed. It's, it's basically like one room. Yeah. Yeah. Yumi took me there, and it's, it's in San Antonio. You go in, and you're like, it's this lump of history in the middle of downtown San Antonio. Yeah, and it's just it's like, was this a bank, or was it the Alamo? Yeah, I mean, like, there's it's just. There's a couple of side rooms, but it's really just one main room. Yeah, I always just pictured, you know, some huge fort. Yeah, you'd think so. And um, I'll, I'll visit it one day for yeah, sure. The gardens, the grounds are amazing. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's it's very cool. It's worth going to for sure. Yeah. Well, I love being at historical landmarks. You know what you should do, South by Southwest? Fly into San Antonio and drive to Austin. Yeah, that's what you did, right? Yeah. So the Alamo's great. I'm going to visit. Uh, <laughs> he, he famously died defending the Alamo, but there are... Many versions of how that exactly that went down from um, died surrounded by 16 dead Mexicans that he killed with his hand on a knife in the back of one to captured and executed to killed at the very beginning of the thing and didn't even see much action. Yeah. But we think we have a pretty definitive story. Yeah. There's um, some other stuff that he supposedly did do. Like he was... Um, documented is running all over the Alamo, like keeping everybody animated, keeping them. Where's like, the basement? Where's the basement? Right, exactly. Um, uh, and he supposedly played his fiddle a lot, like very rousing tunes. Just tried to keep everyone's spirits and energy up yeah. while they were defending this small little building. Yeah. Um, he uh, supposedly took out five gunners in secession who were trying to shoot a cannon. At the Alamo. Yeah, with old Betsy, his musket. Yeah, and um, he also supposedly came very close to hitting um, Antonio Santa Ana, the general, yeah. who was leading the siege, um, and, but just missed him, even though Santa Ana thought he was well out of range of the guns of yeah, the people like, in the Alamo. I see him, but there's no way he can do Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so he did do some stuff. He's documented doing some stuff. Probably truthful. But the problem, there was always a problem with how he died in that he was captured, and a great, brave Indian fighting bear hunter like is, uh, who represents all of America isn't supposed to be captured because if you capture, that means you put your gun down or you didn't die fighting. Well, I suppose he ran out of bullets and then started clubbing them with his gun, uh-huh. killing them with his you know bare hands and a, and a butt of a gun. Right, so that's the fictitious version. Yeah. The other versions from eyewitnesses contradict that. So America long struggled with how Davy Crockett died. And then in 1975, um, the diary of one of the Mexican uh, army soldiers who was there at the siege was published. And um, it basically laid to rest like, yes, Davy Crockett was among uh, those captured. Yeah, it was five or six people. Yep, like everybody else had been killed or or um, were women, basically. Uh, and Crockett was among like five or six soldiers who were captured, despite Santa Ana um, saying, don't take any prisoners. Yeah. They did anyway. Yeah, they did. But he was not, um, the account says that it was not, uh, he wasn't shamed, though. He, he still died bravely. Uh, they ba- were bayoneted and shot. And uh, the quote, Pena's quote was. The Mexican soldier whose diary. 
Yeah. It was, right? Uh, these unfortunates died without complaining, without humiliating themselves before their torturers. So I think it was like one of those Red Dawn scenes where they start singing America the Beautiful. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, like, you're about to shoot me, but my head is held high. Yeah. Or like, who is it we did last week? The uh, the lady? Uh, oh, uh, Matahari. Yeah, Matahari. Yeah. Davy Crockett and Matahari, they're virtually indistinguishable. That's right. So his reputation remained intact and uh, died at the Alamo, and then Walt Disney got a hold of it and 100 years later became a sensation. Yeah, I mean, even even beyond it remaining intact, dying at the Alamo, defending the Alamo, it's like yeah. it, it mushroom clouded his personality and his reputation as a legend. Yeah. Like it just sealed it forever. Like Davy Crockett, American hero. King of the wild frontier. Yeah, timber toe. No, not a timber toe. <laughs> I actually had to look that up. I was like, what does that mean? I was like, oh, wooden leg. Yeah. Toe, timber. <laughs> timber toe. Got it. <laughs> he was pretty clever. Yeah. Oh, and that quote, by the way, was said while he was drinking with his buddies in Memphis at the Union Hotel. And I did a little digging, and that is the Union Hotel was what is now the grounds of AutoZone Park, where the Memphis Redbirds play ball. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I need to get back to Memphis. My family is all gone from there now. Mm-hmm. So uh, aside from visiting the graves of my grandparents, there's really no other reason to go back. Grave of Elvis? Yeah, well, I've been there. Yeah, we'll go again. All right. <laughs> that estate's not going to fund itself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, okay, you got anything else? No, sir. Davy Crockett. Oh, you know what? I have one other thing. Something occurred to me while we were um, researching this. Um if you think of Davy Crockett and you're an American, mm-hmm. it just all these images come to mind. It's a national hero, and there's he's complex and everything. Think about how every single country has at least somebody like that. Sure. And just how totally unaware we are of those people that are like that in all those other countries. Yeah, like who is Finland's Davy Crockett? Exactly. Yeah. You know? But it's neat to think that there's somebody like that out there for at least one. Yeah. For... Every country on the map. Yeah. France has a Davy Crockett, I'm sure. Sure. Napoleon. <laughs> Davy Croquette. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know what? In listener mail, we should ask for your country's version yeah, let's, of, of Davy Crockett. Let's do that. Okay. So uh, until then, um, if you want to learn a little more about Davy Crockett, you can read this article that I wrote yeah. years and years ago. Um it, by searching Davy Crockett in the search bar, and that's D-A-V-Y, the early 19th century version of Davy. Yeah, and where else, uh, what was that website we also used to get this information? Was that? Uh, if you look in the source, the source list uh-huh. on the Lots More Information page of my article, it's in there. Okay. There's some good stuff. I think it's like the Texas online handbook, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And don't forget to go read that first-person account of bear hunting with Davy Crockett on George Mason University website. Since I said George Mason, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, this is about um, ECT, electro uh, convulsive therapy that we podcasted on, mm-hmm. and about civil rights of people forced into stuff like this. And it's from Jamie. Hey guys, in your ECT podcast, you mentioned anti psychiatry with regards to the resistance of ECT. Hope that one day you'll do a podcast about the consumer. Survivor Ex-Patient Movement, CSX. Uh, It's one of the remaining civil rights movements in the country and around the world. Uh, Mindfreedom.org is a great resource to start with. It was one of the first CSX organizations in existence and is still going strong today. 
Uh, Robert Whitaker, a journalist, wrote Mad in America, where he describes inventors of torture devices peddling their machines to various mental institutions, which held the belief that patients can be shocked or tortured into sanity. Uh, lobotomies were finally discontinued because Thorazine was introduced as a new lobotomy through a pill. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, metrazole injections and insulin shock were torturous and highly feared by patients who received them. Much of when, uh, what went on in One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest is still true for today's modern institutions, including forced ECT. Uh, nowadays, the tortures are more subtle. I was on a drug personally called Haldol that to this day I believe would make an excellent torture drug. Uh, I was also literally blinded by another drug called uh, Melaril, which was forced upon me while in a hospital. My eyesight was restored many years, uh, many years later thanks to Emory Eye Center here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was never warned about the possible side effects of uh, Melaril or given a choice to take it or not. Today's modern medications routinely cause diabetes and rapid weight gain, as well as dependence and early death when people try to discontinue their use. They're faced with symptoms far worse than the symptoms for which they were originally treated. In fact, many school shooters were either on one of these drugs or withdrawing from them when you do the research. I was a patient in the mental health system for 20-plus years, and now I operate an alternative to traditional mental health services in Decatur, Georgia, which is near where I live. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recovery is possible when you reclaim your power taken from you in psychiatry. And guys, I am not anti-psychiatry, but I am no longer blinded or threatened by the tactics that they can sometimes use. I believe in civil rights for people who have been diagnosed and labeled as mentally ill. And please understand that anyone walking into a psychiatrist's office can effortlessly walk out with a label that will follow them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, there's a stigma attached. Totally. So I hope you will consider uh, podcasting on this powerful but often oppressed civil rights movement. I love, uh, love the podcast. Learn a lot. Thanks a lot, Jamie. God, that is very interesting. I've not yeah. heard of that before. Yeah, the CS- CSX movement. I will definitely be checking that out. Totally. That is a great listener mail where we're told about something we've never heard of before in our entire lives but find intensely interesting. That's a good one. Thanks, Jamie. Yes. Um, if you... Oh, oh, yeah. I forgot. Um, if you have a national hero in your country mm-hmm. and you're not in the U.S. Like myth and legend and truth all wrapped up, sort of like David Crockett. Right. Um, we want to know who that is and know a little bit about him. If you're in the U.S. Or her. Oh, yeah. Good one, Chuck. You know? Um, if you're in the U.S., you can still have an opportunity to write in. Tell us something that we don't know about that's intensely interesting there's your homework everybody <laughs> get to work uh you can tweet to us at sysk podcast on twitter i should say don't want to presume everybody knows what tweeting is true um on facebook.com you can join us at stuff you should know that's our page name you can send us an email to stuff podcast at discovery.com and you can join us on our website the very awesome the inimitable the amazing stuff you should know.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by State Farm. 